0: Let him know how he does, okay? Does that, does that make sense? <laughs> Thank you. I'm just going to sit there. Yeah. <clears throat> so we're going to be preaching from Philippians chapter 4. You could turn there in your Bibles. If you are using one of the Bibles under the pew or the chair in front of you, it's 982 is the page. I'm on. Do I need to speak louder? While you're turning... Huh? I'm not on. This is on. It's okay. I can talk loud enough. While we're turning to the text this morning... I wanted to kind of tell you a little bit of a story, if I may. There was a gentleman by the name of Calvin who was raised in a little town in uh, Nebraska. He lived and grew up in a boxcar from a train that had been converted into a home. His father was an alcoholic. His brothers were alcoholics. And he was a gambling man. And one day... In like the third grade, he was back behind the boxcar, gambling with marbles, and the Holy Spirit fell upon him and convicted him that what he was doing was wrong. And that changed his life. And he went on to go to school, attended a seminary, he got a bachelor's in biblical studies, and started serving as a, a national Missionary, what the heck does that mean? Well, he was a missionary on a Naba, uh, sorry, a, a Sioux Indian reservation for thirty-nine years. Thirty-nine years, he committed his life in service to people. When he finally retired, mostly because he was beginning to suffer from the beginning parts of Alzheimer's and dementia. He moved in with his daughter, moved away from his home that he'd always known, and moved to a little town in Missouri. And then, very tragically, he passed away. At this point in time, he didn't know who anybody was. He didn't remember a whole lot. But I had the privilege and the honor of attending his funeral. And one of the ladies that helped nurse him in the end came up to me afterwards and told me this beautiful story. See, he used to love those Gaither Southern Gospel tapes, right? He would listen to these videos and and just listen to the music about our Lord and Savior when we all get to heaven. And three days before he passed away, he was watching that tape, and it got to the end and started rolling the end credits. And he leaned forward, touched the television, and said, Thank you, brother. I'll take it from here. And preached his last sermon to a television. Let us read Philippians 4, 15 through 20. And you, Philippians, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel... I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be the glory forever. Amen. As we continue in this passage of Philippians, we are coming to the end. This is the conclusion. It's the beginning of the end for Paul's writing to this church. But he begins and ends in much the same way. He begins this understanding of partnership and faithfulness together in the gospel. And he ends with this idea of partnership and faithfulness together together For the gospel. This isn't very Baptist of me, but this is literally a one-point sermon. And here it is. Because of God's faithfulness to us, we can be faithful to the gospel. It is not very fair of joy to have picked my absolute favorite worship song When I cannot play, picking on the poor drummer. The song Great is Our God. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise. That is what Paul is driving at here today. He is saying, because of what Christ has done we can then turn and be faithful. And he's using the church at Philippi as an example of that. Read through the book again. You will not find any word of correction. You will find encouragement. You will find edification. You will find just simple guidance. But you will not find a word of correction. There's no heresy here. There is no doctrine that needs to be corrected here. There is no self-righteousness here. There is no partiality between Jews and Greeks here. There is a people set apart passionately in fire for God. How do we know this? Because Paul says so at this point right here in verse 15. Which leads me to my first point. This gospel faithfulness that they're talking about, that Paul is addressing here, is fellowship. As you Philippians yourselves know, that in the beginning of the gospel, we stop there for just a second, he uses that same terminology in chapter 1. I'm going to turn back there, just turn a couple pages back, you'll see uh, chapter 1, verse 5, he says this, Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. The dating of Paul's writing, it puts it 10 years after he first founded. For 10 years, they were steadfast. For 10 years, they were faithful to the gospel. To the fellowship with Paul. I know it's easy for us to see this passage and say, oh, it's talking about money, it's talking about giving and receiving, And that's true. But the deeper idea that he's trying to convey is this idea of faithfulness in all aspects of our lives. And he's using the Philippian church as an example for us to look at and say that faithfulness is fellowship. The Philippian church, they saw Paul's need. And they tried to meet it the best that they could. That's faithfulness. But then he goes on. When I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. There's two things we need to take from this passage right there. When he talks about the other churches, it's not a slight on them. It's a point of, this is the standard that we've seen. No other churches were able to. But you, there's an affection that is felt for this church because of their faithfulness to the gospel, because of their willingness to sacrifice and give for the gospel monetarily. But not only monetarily. Because if you read in verse 14, that happens just before this, it talks about suffering with them. They sent one of their leaders to Paul. Epaphroditus was an elder in the church and they sent him to Paul and he got sick and they were heart sick because now they had Paul in prison and they had Epaphroditus who was sick and Paul is rejoicing and being thankful for their willingness to try. So here we see that their faithfulness is to the gospel. Yes, they love Paul. But can we agree that to love Paul is to love the gospel of Jesus Christ? So why? With the idea of giving and receiving, do I draw attention to this fellowship idea? Because in the original language, it uses this word koinonia, koinonia partnership, fellowship. This is more than just a cursory understanding and relationship with somebody. This isn't the relationship where I'm in the Starbucks drive-thru and I'm ordering a latte. There's a relationship there, but it's really more of I want my coffee and they want my money. But if you look at the original language, that's the language that Paul is referring to. He's using this business transaction language. It's a debit-credit type of language that's being used. But it's centered around this koinonia, this fellowship. And that word is not just a relationship. It's deeper than that. The word actually has this understanding of an intentional or expected give and take. I'm in relationship with Mitchell. He's controlling the soundboard but that relationship is different than my relationship with my wife. Amen. Amen. The relationship with my wife is a covenant relationship. There's an expectation of give and take, give and receive. We have this relationship that we build upon. That's what Paul is driving at. And the examples that he gives happens to be monetary, but it's driving at a deeper understanding Had they been in the same city, they would have been bringing food to him. They would have clothed him. They would have been in his prison with him. They would have been sitting there, fellowshipping with him, going through this together. That is why the text, I believe, is driving to this main idea that life can be extremely messy. But we are united in Christ. We joyfully get in the trenches with each other and share the burden. Life is messy. Life is tough. Jesus said that the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. Rain is both a good thing and a bad thing. With the right amount of rain you get a healthy crop. Too much rain, and it floods. What Jesus is driving at is that both good and bad fall on both good and bad. The difference is, as believers, as Christians, as followers of Christ, look to your left and to your right, you're never alone. Christ is in you, and brothers and sisters are beside you. And Paul is rejoicing in this fact that in the current state that he's in, in prison, he's not alone. And the news of him not being alone has reached his ears about the church of Philippi, and he is elated at their faithfulness in the gospel. But he has to drive home this idea of giving and receiving. Which brings us to our second point that we find in the next couple verses, starting in verse 16. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. This idea of once and again, actually in the original language, it means more than once. So we don't know if it was just twice, but we know that it was more than once at least twice, if not more times, did they give him money to help him. It was in that faithfulness that he was able to preach at Corinthians without any assistance from that church. He was a tent maker. It was because of that assistance in Thessalonica that he was able to do the same thing. Build tents during the day, preach the gospel at night, thanks to the support of the Philippian church. But then he gives this negative clause. Not that I. Not that I. I don't seek the money. What he does seek, again, with this business transaction language, the accounting and the credit that's added to the church at Philippi, that there is an understanding that God is watching. I think immediately to 1 Corinthians 3, where Paul talks about, some say I'm of Apollos, and some say I'm of Paul. But he kind of kills that argument and says, but aren't we all of Jesus? Paraphrasing here. Aren't we all of Christ? And then he uses this analogy of being a a wise master builder, laying upon that foundation. That foundation is Christ, Jesus. And he even says, so that no man may lay on that foundation other than Christ. But then he goes on and talks about this idea of what we build with matters. I think he's reemphasizing that point here, that there's an accounting, if you will, that what they have done matters. And if I may be so bold, I'm going to speculate and say, I am pretty sure that Paul was doing this tongue in cheek. I don't think he was sitting there going, okay, what's your routing number? Jesus is going to give you a deposit. What he was saying is that what you have been accounted is the gospel, it's Jesus Christ. Of all the things in my life that I would l- l- like never lose, you could take my job and it would probably make me a little bit frustrated. You would take my wife and my kids and you would crush me. But you take my Jesus. No, you cannot. That's what Paul is getting at. This accounting is this eternal counting with Christ. So the Philippian Church has demonstrated they are faithful in giving and receiving. They have given faithfully to Paul, but they have also received faithfully what Paul has given. That idea from the first day until the last is reemphasized here. It's good for us to talk about giving in church. Doing church isn't free, which it was. But it's also good for us to talk about receiving. Do you know there's a biblical right way to receive? The Philippian church received the gospel. They allowed the Holy Spirit to catch on fire their heart. And even from the first day they were determined to share that gospel. What Paul is talking about here is what some pastors refer to as the three T's. Your time, your talent, your treasure. There was a businessman, world-renowned, by the name of Peter Druchen Druker? I cannot remember his name. But his name is not important. His quote is... He one time stated, you tell me what you value and maybe I'll believe you. But you show me your calendar and your bank statement and I will show you where your true treasure lies. God is demanding or asking faithfulness for us. Paul is demonstrating the Philippian church was that faithful. We are to be faithful in our giving and our receiving. We are to be faithful in our fellowship. We are none of us alone. But then Paul goes a little further. And I think what he's trying to get at is this right here. Fellowship through Christ holds the expectation of caring for each other, knowing it will further the gospel, which is our greatest reward. Sometimes doing life together, it, it gets messy. I, I, I've served in churches since I was 19 years old, and I've heard some of the funniest stories from pastors behind closed doors. Most of them I will not share. You. You're welcome. But I'm going I'm to tell on Aaron for a second. I didn't warn him. Bear with me. We were talking about the life of this church. We were talking about Aaron's trying to help us as a congregation to cast a bigger vision than ourselves. And we were talking about how uncomfortable it is sometimes for change. Amen? Amen. Who moved my pew? Where'd my pulpit go? What's with this crazy guy sitting on a box hitting it? That's me, yeah, that's me. But then Aaron said something that humbled me and made me realize that I love this man because of how he loves Jesus. Here's what he said. Difficult as it may be, I love their heart. I've been here a short period of time and I've observed this. I love your heart. Your willingness to change for the gospel, your willingness to change to impact the community where we live, your willingness to step up and be faithful to the gospel that we've been entrusted with, with our giving and our receiving, with our fellowship your faithfulness. When I was reading over this, trying to come up with this, this passage, this uh, outline for the sermon, I'm like, wow, this is, really reminds me of that conversation I had with Aaron about this church. No, we're not perfect. But the love that I see in the willingness for the gospel that I see amazes me. It's fantastic. And I'm excited to see where God is taking us. So then we can see in verse 18. I'm sorry, I need to back up. This idea of the fruit. I missed that. But I think it's important to catch. When Paul's talking about fruit, he's not talking about apples. Or oranges. Or green chili. It's a fruit, fight me. Okay. He's not talking about agriculture at all. In fact, he's not even talking about monetary returns. He's not talking about dividends you get paid from the bank. He's not talking about the interest you collect on your retirement. He's not talking about the the taxes you pay. Well, that's the wrong way. The idea that he's conveying in that word, in the original language, is actually spiritual. Spiritual fruit. So I started racking my brain, like, What does he mean by spiritual fruit? How about faith? How about love? Joy. Peace. Patience. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Self control. The fruit of the Spirit grows. It's interestingly enough that when you commit something to the Lord, spiritual fruit comes. I committed to read my Bible to my kids every night. Confession, I'm terrible at it. But I try. As a result, my kids talk about Jesus. has nothing to do with me, just so you know. And we're abundantly clear. Faith comes by the Holy Spirit. It has nothing to do with me. But seeing them grow in faith impacts me. Makes me realize, man, I'm not nearly the man I need to be. Lord, help me. I understand it acutely when Paul says, I am the chief of sinners. I'm going to fight him on that. I'm, that's me. I own that. But when he's talking about this fruit, he's talking about spiritual growth. And we grow our spiritual f- fruit by the things we put our affection upon. You want to grow in gospel faithfulness and fellowship? Focus on Jesus. You want to grow in gospel, giving and receiving? Turn to Christ. That's what he's driving at. That's what he's getting at. The spiritual fruit that comes. And then he points out something else the Philippians do very well, and that's verse 18. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Again, more of this business language of accounting, giving and receiving. But that's not what Paul's getting at. He's talking about their worship. Gospel faithfulness is worship. And it goes beyond just the nine, you know, the, the, Nine minutes is what I was going to say. The, the couple of hours you spend on Sunday mornings and maybe you come on Wednesday nights. Worship is not contained to that 20, 25 minutes of singing with a guitar and a piano and the bass and vocals and sometimes a box. This worship he's referring to is a lifestyle change. The church at Philippi was so radically impacted by the gospel of Jesus Christ that they changed immediately. As a brand new fledgling church, they began to support Paul in his ministry, knowing what Paul was doing, preaching the gospel. I'm telling you, if church planting catalysts would just capture this one passage Philippi was the church-planting, church-planting church of the new first century. They gave and gave and gave some more. And even when it hurt, all Paul had to say were words of edification and commending them. He begins Philippians with thankfulness, and he ends with thankfulness, saying, I'm thankful that you're giving. I'm thankful that you're in fellowship with me. I'm thankful that you worship." Because he uses this Old Testament verbiage. This fragrant offering. Sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. This language is used throughout all of the Bible. You see it first in Genesis when Noah, after the flood, gives an offering to God. The Bible says that it was a fragrant aroma to the Lord and it pleased him. And God vowed to never flood the earth again. And then you see later on in Ephesians, I'm skipping a bunch. Jesus is that fragrant offering. The promise there is that all who believe in him will have eternal life where there's no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more pain. So Paul is thankful for their heart of worship. That it is very much at the center of his example. Because remember, verse 17, he's like, no, it's not the money. But then we see 19 and 20, which I think is what Paul is driving at. Here we go. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul is talking about gospel faithfulness he is confidence. It's confidence in God. What does he say? And my God. That's a very personal attestation there. He's like, no, no, not just any God. Mine. My God. What will he do? He will supply your needs. What is our greatest need? According to his riches and glory that are in Christ Jesus. Look, too many times pastors have taken this passage and said, see? If you'll just give to the church, God will bless you. If you just give faithfully your ten percent tithe and I offering, God will return it tenfold. I'm not sure whether they have tenfold, but they get that. See, God will supply all of your needs because He's got riches in glory beyond our earthly possessions, earthly needs. Give to God. Give to the church. But I don't think that's what Paul is talking about. Yes, it's important for us as a congregation, as believers, to give to the church because it furthers the gospel. And let me tell you, as a man who loves Jesus, there's nothing I want more than to see more people love Jesus. That should be all of our hearts. Sometimes it's money. Sometimes it's just our time. And sometimes it's just a willingness to go get a cup of coffee with somebody who is heartbroken and needs an encouraging word. It could be any of those things. But when Paul is talking about, my God supply your needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus, he's talking about that separating line. Either you're with Christ or you're against him. Either you are set in Jesus and you are headed to heaven or you are against Jesus and God help you. Because only he can. Paul is saying he knows their physical needs. He knows their physical struggles. But he also knows who's greater than these. He also knows who holds these in his hand. When Calvin was preaching, he didn't make minimum wage. He lived in a parsonage that was rent-free, barely made ends meet. Because of his love for the gospel, the poor community that he was in rallied around and provided food for him all the time his faithfulness to the gospel was contagious to the point that others became faithful to the gospel and it's amazing every sunday they would be a potluck not organized they would just invite people over and share what God had blessed with them with that week. And sometimes it was hot dogs. and sometimes it was good old Southern cooking. But every time, there was love, every time there was a glorification of Christ, of what he had done in their lives monetarily in that moment. And that's why Paul concludes that section by saying these beautiful words, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. You see, we are faithful to the gospel because he's first faithful to us. That's why I love that song so much, because I can only sing praises to God because he first gave me that breath. We can only be faithful to the gospel because God was first faithful to us. If Christ, in his unimaginable faithfulness, hadn't stepped down to earth, where would we be? where would we be? If he hadn't lived that sinless life that none of us could live, where would we be? If he hadn't willingly laid down his life on that cross, the Bible says no one takes his life, but he lays it down willingly, where would we be? And here's the crux. This is what separates all of Christianity from other religions. He didn't stay dead. He rose on that third day. Had he not raised from the dead, where would we be? I'll tell you where we'd be. Paul wrote about it in 1 Corinthians. He said, if Christ has not risen from the dead, we are to be pitied above all others. But Christ has raised. We can have the confidence in a risen Savior. And because of that, to Him be the glory. Forever and ever, Amen. So we are faithful because He is worthy. And because He has always been faithful, we know that He will be faithful. That's a mouthful. I understand. But how do you convey that we're faithful because He is faithful? But not only is he faithful in the past, but he will be faithful in the future too. And we can lean on that faithfulness because of what we see in the past. We can have confidence of who he will be in the future. He is our rock. As I conclude today's message I really believe that what Paul is driving at is gospel faithfulness. But that faithfulness only comes because of what he first did for us. If you are here today, if you're here today and you don't have a personal relationship with Christ, Jesus died for you. He died for me. And if he'll die for me, trust me, he'll die for you. If he'll accept me, he will accept you. All we have to do is believe. I grew up with this understanding that I had to somehow clean myself up to a certain point before God would even begin to accept me. Friends, let me tell you this morning, that is not true. Jesus takes the mess of our lives and turns it into something beautiful to his glory. Will you take him up on that offer this morning? Will today be the day of your salvation? Brothers and sisters, if you are here and you are set with Jesus, and these words about his gospel message just fill you with joy, Knowing that we are. (laughs) We are the chief of sinners, aren't we? But thank God for Jesus Christ, his willingness to die. That we can rejoice in the fact that every time the gospel is proclaimed, it's for me, it's for you, it's for us. So I pray that today as we move on that this idea and concept Paul is conveying about gospel faithfulness will latch hold of our hearts. Maybe it's monetary. Maybe it's spending more time with fellow believers and encouraging each other and helping to make disciples. But maybe Maybe it's being willing to be bold and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with whomever you know that doesn't know it. And I've heard this argument, Bruce, i not an evangelist. That's not my gifting, It's not my calling. Okay. I'm not saying door-to-door street evangelism here. But I would argue that if you know enough of the gospel to be saved by it, then you know enough of the gospel to share it. Let that be our charge as a church today. Let us be faithful with the gospel. Let us share the gospel with those in need. There is a lost and dying community that's out there that doesn't know Jesus. A 2016 poll showed that 90% of Albuquerque is unreached. That was compiled by the North American Mission Board. If that doesn't keep us up at night I'm not sure what will Let us take this as a charge Let us come to Christ either for the first time or again and commit everything we have to gospel faithfulness Let us pray God I